So Haggai chapter 2 is where we want to sort of start. It's only a couple of months later that Haggai prophesies again in verse 10. So you might remember we got, certainly in the adult study, we got down to around verse 9. Uh, and then Haggai 2 and verse 10, there's another prophecy. And it's just worth pointing out that between verse 9 and verse 10, Zechariah 1 and verse 1 to 6 fits in. So you can see that really easily by just looking at um, the date that's given in Zechariah 1 verse 1 and then Zechariah 1 verse 7. And you'll realize that Zechariah 1 verses 1 to 6, easily thing to put into your margin, goes between verses 9 and 10 of Haggai chapter 2. And we'd like to take a simple point from this short passage in Zechariah 1. And it's to point out the repetition, and the, the teens managed to find this in yesterday's quiz, of your fathers. So in verse 2, the Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Verse 4, be not as your fathers. Uh, verse 5, your fathers, where are they? Uh, the end, halfway through verse 6, did they not uh, overtake your fathers? So, so we see there, and what we're trying to think is why this matters, is that in this next prophecy in Haggai 2 that starts in verse 10, that Haggai is very much causing them to reflect on their past too, thinking back. And Haggai gets them to think back at least as far as the point that the, the foundation of the temple was laid, some 17 or so years earlier, we suggested. So you see in Haggai 2 and verse 18, um, consider now from this day and upward from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the, the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. So clearly like Zechariah, Haggai wants them to look back and reflect and then consider their lives from this day forward, okay, from the day that Haggai is speaking, from the day that they had made a choice to start building again in the temple. So why would Zechariah and Haggai get them to reflect about their past. Well, once or twice through this study, we've picked up on the fact, haven't we, that it does seem that there are some amongst them who are hung up about a former glory. Uh, so in verse three, who is left among you that saw this house in her former, in her first glory? And what the prophets are telling them is that even if those days were as wonderful as you built them up in your heads to be. What use is that to you? You need to consider your lives from now. And so the prophet then says in verse 11, thus saith the Lord of hosts, ask now the priests concerning the law. So he's going to give them an example to try and help them to understand this concept. Ask the priests concerning the law. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt you touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. And the key point is this, holiness cannot be transferred. So in other words, you can't hang on to past glories as if that will make you holy. Holiness can't be transferred. Ask the priest. If someone is carrying holy flesh in his clothing, does that mean that the things that it touches become holy? The priest will tell you. The answer is no. And so Zechariah has made them realize that their fathers weren't in a good place. And now Haggai is saying that even if they had been in a good place, what use is that to you? 
even more concerning is what Haggai says next. Because whilst holiness doesn't transfer, uncleanness does. Verse 13. If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? The priests answered and said, it shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. Now we can put some cross-references in place now. I think these are useful cross-references, aren't they, to, to Numbers 19, to Leviticus 13. You recognize Numbers 19 about the, the law of the red heifer, isn't it? We see very clearly that uncleanness is easily transferred. The law of the red heifer was there, wasn't it? As a way back, if they did come into contact with a dead body, because they would become unclean. Similarly too, Leviticus 13, the laws concerning leprosy involved people being in isolation um, if they were unclean. Because sadly, uncleanness is so easily transferable. And so this nation that's referred to in verse 14, I believe is a reference to the generation that was put into captivity. And so what Haggai is telling them is, this nation that you're trying to hold on to, no, don't worry about them. That they were absolutely, un what they were offering was not clean. So don't in any way try to hold on to them. They were unclean and that uncleanness is transferable. Do not feel the need to try to hold on to them. That's not going to help you at all. So twice now, he then says, consider from this day and upward. So you see in verse 15, and you see again in verse 18. And it's the same point he's getting them to think back to. He wants them to recognize that before they started building on top of the foundation, clearly God wasn't with them. So this is saying, look, before you even started, look, so think about this, verse 15. Now I pray you consider from this then upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. So let's just remember our times. The foundation of the temple was laid. So they got a stone in place, yeah? They got the foundation laid. But then they stopped working. But now they got started again. So what he's saying is, before you started laying that next stone, so, so this in that 17-year gap, have a think about that time. Since that time, in that 17 years, were, when one came to a heap of 20 measures, there was but 10. When one came to a wine fat to draw out 50 vessels of the press, there were but 20. Why? Because I smote you with blasting, with mildew, and with hail on the labors of your hands. Yet you turn not to me, saith the Lord. Do you see that this is exactly the same point that he made in chapter one that we would call it, okay? In other words, you looked for much, but it came to little. Could you, do you remember that? So I put it there on the screen, Haggai 1 and verse 6, okay? And then uh, verse 9, verse 10 and 11. And you can see that essentially it's the same point that's being made. You came to, to try to get this. So let's just see that again in verse 16. You came to get 20, but there were but 10. Okay, you looked for much, but actually there was little. And just as we saw back in chapter 1 and verses 10 and 11, so if you just scan back there, and if you were making notes as we went, you would have made a note in verse 10 and 11 
to, to Leviticus 26 and to Deuteronomy 28. You remember that we, it drew us back to the blessings and to the cursings. And what God was saying is, I'm the one who's called for a drought upon the land, verse 11 of chapter 1. I'm the one that's withholding blessings from you because you're concentrating on your houses and not concentrating on the building of the house of God. And can you see that's exactly the same point that we're seeing here in verse 17 of chapter 2. I'm the one who is cursing, as it were. And once again, that, that blasting and mildew, this time that links us to Deuteronomy 28 again and verse 22. So, so hopefully that's like a bit confusing perhaps, but hopefully you, you, the point you can get from it is it's the same point that Haggai was making in chapter 1. He, what he's telling them is, can you not see that God is not blessing you because you are not putting your focus into his house, into the building up of the house of God, the ecclesia, we would say, of course. So Haggai says uh, in verse 18 and 19, consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. So consider in this 17-year point period, is, has things, have been, things been going well for you? And the answer, of course, is no. But the end of verse 19, from this day, I will bless you. Now that you've made the choice to start building the temple again, from this day, that choice you've made, I will bless you. Brothers and sisters, what a great exhortation that is for us. No matter where we are in our lives, no matter what has gone before, none of that matters. It's what we do from this day. From this day, we have a choice. Are we going to put our energy and efforts into the house of God, into the ecclesia? From this day, the day you make that choice, I will bless you, says the Lord. Now, I love this. Look, hold this now. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 19. We're going to put a cross-reference in place. Come with me to Ezra 6. I love this. God says, from this day, the day you've chosen to, to build my house, you watch, I will bless you. Look at this. Ezra chapter 6, verse 8. We've read it before. We're going to read it again. Look at this for how God blesses them. Remember, God has withheld the corn, the wine, the oil. We saw those things. They're there on the screen, what God withheld. Okay, but look now, Ezra 6 and verse 8. Moreover, said Darius the king, I make a decree that you shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men, that they be not hindered, and that which they have need of, both young bullocks, rams, lambs for the burnt offering of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil, all the blessings, they're coming according to the appointment of the priests which are at Jerusalem. Let it be given them day by day without 
Baal, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savour unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. Isn't that just wonderful, brothers and sisters? From this day will I bless you. And there we see the blessings pour in because they've made that choice in their lives. And so we can see that Haggai was exhorting them, showing them their decision to get building was a wise one. God would bless them in their work. Brothers and sisters, we believe that to be true now. If we'll put our hand to the work of building up the ecclesia, God will bless us in our lives and ultimately bring us to his kingdom. If you just hold on to Haggai 2, so we can leave Ezra 6 now and come to Zechariah chapter 8. I just want to point out to you, just because, you know, I realize we haven't spent as much time in Zechariah as Haggai, but I want you to see that actually this same point is being made in Zechariah chapter 8. So this, what we've just seen in Haggai 2, that there'd be, there's essentially been cursings because they've not been doing, they've just been concentrating on themselves. And now they've made a choice from this time forward, God is going to bless them. So here in Zechariah chapter 8, see if you can just follow these ideas. Verse 9, thus saith the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. Well, we've seen that exhortation, haven't we? That's Haggai 2 and verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. So let now your hands be strong, ye that hear in these days, these words by the mouth of the prophets, that which were in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, that the temple might be built. So you can see again, the cross-reference, I put it on the screen for you. We're talking about the same time. For before these days, there was no hire for man, nor any hire for beast. Neither was there any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction, the adversaries. For I set all men, everyone against his neighbor. But now I will not be unto the remnant of this people as in the former days, saith the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous. The vine shall give her fruit and the ground shall give her increase. And the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And it shall come to pass as ye were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah, Deuteronomy 28, and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing, Deuteronomy 28. Fear not, Haggai 2. Let your hands be strong, Haggai 2. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, as I thought to punish you when your fathers, your fathers, provoked me to anger, saith the Lord of hosts, and I repented not, so again have I thought in these days to do well unto Jerusalem and do to the house of Judah. Fear ye not. So do you see, brothers and sisters, that Zechariah is giving them that same message? And we believe Zechariah, like many of the prophets, and, and certainly like Haggai, goes between messages which are particularly relevant for the time in which they were living uh, and messages which are far-reaching in time, some still yet to be fulfilled. And here in chapter 8, certainly the last few verses in, from verse 20 to the end are absolutely latter-day verses. You know, they're, they're about things that are going to happen with Israel uh, and how when many nations will want to take hold of the Jews and say, we will go with you. So, so of course, that is a time still to come. And, and the verses we've been reading through, you know, they, I'm sure they probably have a, an application as well, but they certainly seem to be around the present. We've just linked it all with Haggai, haven't we? 
But the beginning of Zechariah chapter 8 most certainly has an application to both times. You know, so let's read Zechariah 8, and you can picture it in terms of both the times that they lived in and, and what a blessing it would have been for them, but also you'll be no doubt thinking about this in terms of the hope that we have in the kingdom. So, so have a look at this now, Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, sorry, the Lord, I am returned unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, every man with his staff in his hand for very age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, if it be marvellous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, should it also be marvellous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. And so reading that, we realize that has to be looking beyond these days to the ultimate fulfillment when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and Israel will be turned and they will indeed recognize God as their God in truth and in righteousness. Uh, what a thrilling thing to be able to see that. One person from this time that we are sure will be there to see that is Zerubbabel. Come back with me to Haggai 2. Because you'll see now how that on this same day that Haggai had given that prophecy, there in verse 10, verse 18, it gives the time, the time stamp. On the same day, in verse 20 now, right down to the end of the chapter in Haggai chapter 2, Haggai is told specifically to speak to Zerubbabel. And it's almost as if this happens to emphasize the fact that in the end, the word of God needs to touch you as an individual. Haggai 2 and verse 20, or verse 21 now. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shape the heavens and the earth. And I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. And I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nation, the heathen. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down. Every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, like many great men of faith, he was being told that God's purpose was beyond these times. But his place in God's kingdom was assured. And we note the similarity in language. You'll see this straight away in verse 22. 
to Exodus, to when the, the uh, Israelites left Egypt and God overthrew the Egyptian chariots with their horses and their riders. And he's saying, look, there's going to come a time when once again, this will happen. And we notice too how that this language is also drawn on Ezekiel 38. Do you see that? Every man's sword against his brother. You've probably got it in your margin. If not, it's worth sticking in there at the end of verse 22, isn't it? And so we see how that this is looking beyond these times. And Zerubbabel is being told, a time is coming when this is going to happen. But don't you worry, Zerubbabel. I have got a special place for you. And what I think is fascinating here is that of all the people stood there on that day, this man, Zerubbabel, knew the lesson that Zechariah had said just a few weeks earlier. The Lord has been sore displeased with your fathers. You see, Zerubbabel's grandfather only reigned three months before being deported to Babylon. He was a wicked king. Will you come with me to Jeremiah chapter 22? So hold Haggai 2 and come with me to Jeremiah. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, that Zerubbabel, his grandpa was one of the last kings of Judah. Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 24. As I live, saith the Lord, though Kaniah, and this is the same person, Kaniah is also called Jeconiah, and Jehoiachin, okay, so it has three names. And we've come used to that in our study, haven't we? We keep seeing people, Daniel, Zerubbabel, with, with multiple names. Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, though, so let's read it again with some, the right emphasis. As I live, saith the Lord, though Coniah, Zerubbabel's grandpa, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee thence, and I will give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life, and into the hand of them whose face thou fearest, even unto the hand of Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. Zerubbabel, of course, would have known this prophecy. He knew his grandfather was a disgrace, as God describes him in verse 28. Is this man Kaniah a despised idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land where they know not? So Coniah, Zerubbabel's grandpa, been cast out into Babylon all those years before. Zerubbabel would have known that full well. And yet you know from our first study that Zerubbabel was numbered with the vessels that returned. He was a man who had made a choice in his life to forget the past and instead to make sure that his focus was on building the house of God. And he was stirred up, as you remember, by the word of God, by Haggai and Zechariah. 
So look back and just put this cross-reference in now. I'm sure you have already. Haggai 2 and verse 23. Remember, Coniah, though he were the signet upon my right hand, God said, yet would I pluck thee hence. And here, God says to Zerubbabel through Haggai, I'm going to make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. The signet, the seal, the stamp to seal. What a contrast. Your history is irrelevant, Zerubbabel, because of the personal choice that you have made to serve, to be my servant, you will have a position of authority. Come with me to Zechariah 6 now, so we can leave things go. Come to Zechariah chapter 6. And you'll see how that Zerubbabel is promised by God that he will be a king priest in the age to come. So Joshua, his friend, his companion, is told in verse 12 of Zechariah chapter 6, speak unto Zerubbabel, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now, of course, we know the one that built the temple of the Lord is Zerubbabel. We know that from Zechariah 4 and verse 9. He, he is the one that built the temple. So this is speaking of Zerubbabel. He's the branch. Even, verse 13 of Zechariah 6, even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and he shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. What amazing verses to read. This is absolutely wonderful, isn't it? And, and just note again from Zechariah chapter 4, just come back with me to verse 6 again. And we realize what a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to open this up now, Zerubbabel is. Zechariah 4 and verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Think about this man. This man who was rooted in Babylon. Okay? Remember, that's what his name means. And yet, he led the people out of Babylon. Though he had a claim to the throne through his ancestry, he never attempted to become king, confident that God would ultimately bring him to his kingdom. And here in Zechariah 4, I just find this so lovely here in verse 6 of Zechariah 4. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. This is wonderful. Firstly, we realize, if we haven't already, that Zerubbabel is driven by the word of God, his spirit being poured out through the inspired prophets. It's the word that empowers him, not his own strength. And he's being told, you're not going to build that house in your strength, but rather through God's grace. And the mountain before him, in verse 7, well, surely, brothers and sisters, we worked out by now that that must be speaking of the adversaries. But those adversaries, they'll become a plain. 
No, the mountain, this, this insurmountable problem will be done away with because the Lord God is in control here. His grace can deal with the greatest of problems. And then as we've read already, we see in verse 8 and 9 that he is the one who laid the foundation. We saw that in Ezra 3. He is the one who finishes it. Ezra chapter 6 and verse 15, you can put in your margins against finish it. That's the day they finish it in Ezra 6 and verse 15. Of course, what God started, he will finish. When his word goes out, it will accomplish that which it's purpose to do. And so we reflect on what a type of the Lord Jesus we have in Zerubbabel. The Lord, of course, was rooted in Babylon in the sense that he shared our nature. But he led captivity captive. He too could have claimed the throne, but he knew that the time wasn't right. He too was motivated by God's word, day by day, morning by morning, we read. And he used the power of the word to destroy his adversaries, ultimately dealing with the greatest adversary, sin and death. And as a result, he was the one who laid the foundation of the house. He is the one who will finish it, the ecclesia. He is the author and the finisher of faith. You'll know, of course, that he is described as my servant. Do you remember in Isaiah 42? Behold, my servant, mine elect. And we realize what an amazing thing that is there in Haggai 2 and verse 23. O Zerubbabel, my servant, I have chosen thee. These are words about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God's servant. He is God's elect. You'll realize, of course, that he is the branch. Isaiah 11 tells us that. And look again at Zechariah 6 and verse 13. He shall bear the glory. He shall bear the glory. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ manifested the glory of God. In John 1 and verse 14, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We've seen Zerubbabel is associated with God's grace. What did they cry out as he put the stone in place? Grace, grace. They realized that it was in God's power, it was in God's grace that the temple was being built, the temple was being finished. And so, brothers and sisters, what an immense blessing it is to know that all the scriptures are teaching us of the Lord Jesus. So as we behold the man, Zerubbabel, we're being taught of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just read again, chapter 6 and verse 12. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place and he shall build 
the temple of the Lord. In helping us to behold the man, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has directed the lives of men and women to give us an insight into the work of his son. Let us now focus on him. In the bread and the wine, we see the symbols of his love, a life given in total dedication. Though the son of God, he emptied himself, taking upon him the form of a servant. This was the man who never deviated from the purpose of God. And by adhering to the will of his father, through listening to the word and looking to the joy that was set before him, the Lord Jesus Christ overcame. And as a result, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. He was the living stone, rejected of men, but chosen of God and precious. And it's through him, brothers and sisters, it's our association with him that enables us to be living stones built up as a spiritual house. It's through him that, that we are part of a royal priesthood. Because of him, we are chosen, the elect, the servants of God. It's through him that we can deal with the adversaries in our lives. How thankful we should be for the Lord Jesus Christ. God's provision to enable us, men and women sown in Babylon, to have this opportunity to be part of the building that is the ecclesia, the house of God. And although there will be struggles ahead, if we forget the past and instead hold on to this, make our priority the house of God above all else. God assures us we can share in the blessings of the kingdom age. I'd like to finish in Psalm 126. Psalm 126, the Song of Ascents. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him.